Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. Again, good morning to everybody. What a blessing for us to be together today here in this time and place. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, the warmer temperatures are coming and going, but they're most basically coming. And so we're thankful. We're thankful to be together. And it is a great blessing for us all to be able to assemble together to worship God and be together. Over the last about 12 weeks, because I took a break in one of those weeks to look at a different subject, I believe, and then I split up one lesson into two sections to be able to give better attention to its, its material without getting tedious in one, at, at one time. So over about the last 12 weeks, we spent a lot of time looking at studying very deeply, I would say, about faith and what the scriptures teach on faith. We've talked about where Jesus, I believe, four times said, oh, you of little faith, and why he said that in each of those specific occasions. We talked about also the difference between faith and faithfulness and the faith, how faith is used in those three ways repeatedly through the New Testament scriptures. And so we talked about how we can gain faith, grow in faith, and also the quickest way to become unfaithful. So really covered that material, I think, in quite a bit of depth and detail. And hopefully and prayerfully, we've all come to a better understanding or at least a better appreciation of how we need to really pay attention to our faith. Well, I thought this particular lesson today would be a good follow-up to that extended study. So the question we want to ask today is, how can I win against sin? Because obviously the devil is continually trying to break down or chip away, or if we let him, lead us away from our faith. He wants to try to bring us away from God and in order to do that, he has to attack our faithfulness. And once he leads us into sin on an ongoing basis, well then he's, talk, he's really working on our eternal destruction spiritually. We're talking about serious, the most serious of all matters or potential possibilities that face mankind. I know that we hear the news constantly, we read the newspapers, we read articles and so on. We hear people commenting upon what you know, our, our greatest challenges or our greatest dangers in this world as far as humankind is concerned. And so they talk about global warming. They used to talk about global cooling, by the way. But now it's global warming, they talk about drought, they talk about famine, they talk about overpopulation. And of course, over the last couple of years, they've been really hammering away at the reality of the pandemic that is spread all across the globe. And we've seen continual reports of how many people have become infected and ultimately how many of those have died. And so all of those, and we could probably talk about more wars, and of course war is going on right now, but wars are always going on through all of the time in different parts of the world. Most of the time we don't hear much about them. They're on a smaller scale, 
but wars are, are pretty much always going on. We hear about crime and violence and all of those matters, and again, the list could go on. But the greatest, the greatest danger to mankind, literally, is for him to lose his soul. Sin is our biggest danger, and our greatest and gravest enemy is the devil himself. Remember that Peter describes him as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. First, uh, first Peter chapter 5 and, and verses 8 and 9, but then Peter goes on and says that we can defeat the devil or we can be victorious over him by resisting him steadfast in the faith. And therein we have studied for many weeks now. Well, how can I win against sin? In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Now, the, 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 the opposite of that is the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But there's that grave danger. The wages of sin is death. When we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when mankind, that first man, that first woman, entered into sin, they became sinners and everything changed that day. You can read through the account in Genesis chapter 3. Everything changed. And I suspect that the change was more far-reaching as far as the reality of the world and life in this world than we really grasp from that rather brief description of God's pronouncements of judgment. But one thing that became an instant reality was they were separated from God because sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59. But also physical death instantly became a reality because God removed them from the access to the tree of life when he expelled them from the garden which he had put in place for them to live in. Well, the tree of life was in that garden. The tree of life is now in heaven. We still have the opportunity to access it, but only after this physical life is over. And we're looking toward eternity for that blessing and that possibility. Well, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, also talks about the danger of sin that we allow to continue to exist in our lives. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then notice again, just as the apostle Paul wrote, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And the worst of all deaths that mankind can face is spiritual death. And again, that's separation from God. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, the apostle Paul talked about that inner spiritual battle that goes on in our lives. We strive to live a spiritual life, or at least a spiritually focused life, within a physical body. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but Paul says, and Paul's talking about himself here, but that's simply representative of everybody, all mankind throughout time until the Lord comes again. He says, we, we know that the law is spiritual, that is God's law is spiritual, but then he says, but I am carnal. And that word carnal means I, I, I'm of this world in a physical sense. We begin with verse 15, and, and he goes on and he, he describes this rather perplexing struggle that we all face that is all within ourselves, all of us. 
on an ongoing basis as long as we're living in this world. He says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, in other words, I don't want to do some of the things that, well, what's he talking about? I don't want to get into sin. I don't want to do things that are sinful, but he says, I end up doing those things anyway from time to time. So then if I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. God's law is good because it guides us in righteousness and away from sin. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then he goes on, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, my physical being by itself, Nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And that's our basic question today. How can I win against sin? For the good that I will to do, what I want to do, the good things, the righteous things, eh, there are times I don't do those things. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Haven't we all found ourselves in that kind of perplexing struggle on an ongoing basis in our own personal lives? We're talking truly from a spiritual perspective. On a spiritual level, we're talking about war within us, within each of our individual lives. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. We've got this spiritual war going on within us all the time. The devil's on one side trying to tug at us, pull us away from faithfulness to God, and the Lord there is always there I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. God promises in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will always make the way for you to escape that temptation. Always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Well, so God's on one side, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the devil's on the other side, and they're pulling, they're trying to influence us in opposite directions. The devil to our eternal destruction, God and our Savior to eternal life in heaven, to eternal life in heaven. My only deliverance from the ultimate consequence of sin is my Savior Jesus Christ. In verses 24 and 25, Paul goes on and he says, wretched man that I am. Why, what's he, why is he referring to himself in that way? But again, he's referring to all of us because this inner struggle is going on constantly in our lives and throughout our lives. And it, I, I, I keep doing some things that I don't want to do and things that I know that I should be doing. I don't do some of those things. And he says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So then I must really focus on not letting 
the fleshly side of me take over my life and guide me. And that's where a lot of people have lost their souls because they're living by the ways of the flesh virtually exclusively and they're not walking with God. They're not even seeking to learn his will. If they know it, they put it out of their minds because they want to do what they want to do. And so there's that inward war going on. Jesus paid the debt for the guilt of my sins. That's how much God loves us. That's how much Jesus loves us as our Lord and Savior. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin, how? By the sacrifice of himself. By the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to bear the sins of all mankind. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And we ought to be looking for, forward toward that, toward that day. We ought to be anticipating it and getting ready for it. And that ought to be a great motivator for us to stay true to God and always stay on that path that will allow us to win against sin. Christ offers us, makes the way for us to be victorious over sin. His blood cleanses us from that guilt of sin as we're baptized into him. On Pentecost, many of the Jews asked Peter and the rest of the apostles after they had heard the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ proclaimed to them, they said, what shall we do? And Peter responded, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There is no other way to be forgiven except through Christ being baptized into him. And at that point, the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us of all the guilt of all of our sin. When Ananias was sent to teach Saul of Tarsus, he came to him and he asked him, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That is the changing point, the crossing over point from a life that has been lived according to the flesh, that is guilty of sin, to a life that has been forgiven, cleansed, reborn, made new in Christ. What a great victory. But here's the follow-up question. Once I become a Christian, the devil still comes at me and perhaps even with renewed vigor because he has to pull me back into sinfulness and away from faithfulness to God. So how can I continue to be victorious over sin? How can I continue to win against sin? The 119th Psalm is an incredible psalm. I've said a number of times, it is the longest of all the Psalms, 170-some passages of Scripture, I believe, as they have been divided up. 
And if you look through those, every single one, with the exception of about four or five, refer to God's word in some way. I want us to just pull a very brief excerpt from that long psalm that is really, if you study through it, is, it is so encouraging to us and so promising. I want us to just look at verses 9 through 16. 9 through 16. Living faithfully by God's word, I will continue to be victorious over sin. If I let God's word be my guide, I will win against sin consistently and continually. Now, will I stub my toe along the way? Will I make a mistake here and there? Yes, but I will not fall back into that life that is in disharmony with God because I'm living in sinfulness on an ongoing basis. No, I'm dedicated to God. The basic challenge is laid out in verse 9 in question form. We could look at these verses 9 through 16. Think of them as a prayer uh, from the overall perspective. And so verse 9, the question is, how can a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man cleanse his way? Well, don't limit it to a young man, a young woman, a young child, a young female or, or male, an older person or a middle-aged person. How can we cleanse our way? The answer, the psalmist lays out, by taking heed according to your word or by paying attention to God's word. The Revised Standard Version puts it this way. How can a young man keep his way pure? The answer, by guarding it according to thy word. The New International Version, by living according to your word. Now that's plain and succinct, isn't it? Clear, easy to understand. Well, let's paraphrase it. Let's paraphrase it. How can, how can a young man stay pure? By reading God's word and following its teachings consistently. God's word is key. Well, why? Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. God's word is clear, is, is key. Yes, the night, Psalm 119 verse 105, we skip ahead. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word will guide us in righteousness because it guides us in his will. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Well, how can we recognize sin as opposed to faithfulness and righteousness? God's word teaches us. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The New Living Translation uh, translates it this way. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all, law, or for all sin is contrary to the law of God. Again, easy to understand. We try to blend things together. We try to kind of smooth over the dividing line and make it okay. We don't just want to 
toe the line. We want to cross the line into sinfulness, but somehow smooth it over in our conscience so that we're saying, but it's okay. It's okay. It's not that bad. No, it's bad. Again, the wages of sin is death. We need to always be focused on winning against sin. We move to verse 10 of Psalm 119. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Well, why? Because your commandments, your word, your teachings, your precepts, they guide me in righteousness and away from sin that if I don't stay away from it, will lead to my eternal destruction, my eternal condemnation in hell. Having learned about God, having learned his will and his ways through diligent study, well, the prayer is to guard me, to guard me, that I do not turn from those precious truths that I have learned because they are sustaining. They are the key to my winning against sin on a continual basis. In verse 11, we go on. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, he does not talk about I've hidden it so nobody can see it or that I can't even find it. He said, no, he said, your word, I have incorporated it into my life, into my very being. Your word is not just something I have learned. Your word is now a part of me. I have made it the guiding, the governing factor or, or power in my life. I look to your word to guide me through every day and every decision that I am confronted with each day. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. The apostle Paul wrote this. He writes to Christians here. He said, you are our epistle." written in our hearts. Now, what is an epistle? It's a letter. He's saying, you are our letter. We've worked with you. We've taught you. We've tried to help you grow spiritually and be the Christians that God wants you to be. And so you're walking around like a living letter, or we might say a living book, known and read by all men. Well, why? Because you're supposed to be shining lights and seasoning salt of godliness and Christianity. You're supposed to be influencing the world around you through your faith in God and Christ. Your light should be shining in a world that is engulfed in the darkness of sin. You should be a mighty powerful influence just by your daily faithful dedicated living as Christians. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle or a letter or a book of Christ, that is, that demonstrates Christ as being our Lord and Savior through the way you live your life every day. Ministered by us, not written not by, with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And that's what the, what the psalmist is trying to get across back in, in verse 11 when he says, your word I have hidden in my heart. It is a part of me now. It is that guiding force within me. God was 
speaking and the Hebrews writer quoting from the Old Testament. Along this very line, he was looking forward to that time when people would do exactly that in Christians. In other words, Christianity, they take the gospel of Christ and they would make that message their life. They would make Christianity their life. And so in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, we read, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will live their lives by my teaching. So I need to do more than just read the Bible. I need to do more than just know some facts that are laid out therein. I need to incorporate God's word, what it says, I need to incorporate it into my life to the extent that it becomes that governing and guiding part or influence, force. It's like a, it needs to become like a, a, a switch, an internal switch, an internal switch, like an automatic mechanism. And whenever I'm confronted daily by some decision or potential direction in life, that switch needs to trip, that internal mechanism needs to kick in, and I need to be asking, what would God want me to do here? What would be God's will in this particular situation, in this particular decision that I need to make? I need to be guided by God's word. We come back to Psalm 119, and let's pick up with, with verses 12 through 16. Blessed are you, O Lord, Teach me your statutes, your word, in other words, your teachings. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. He's saying, your word I have come to realize is more valuable, actually, than all the riches that the world might hold because your word has eternal effects. The riches are just part of this physical world. They're here, but they're going to go away. But your word, if I live by it, I'm going to be with you forever. Its effects are going to be eternal in my life. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We need to be diligent, consistent students of God's word. In Psalm 1, the first three verses... We see the results of a life that is lived by that standard, with that discipline. The psalmist wrote, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. It's an ongoing practice of studying and properly applying to my life God's word, his teachings. That man shall be like a tree that is planted by rivers of waters that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But then the next three verses in Psalm 1 shows what will be the exact opposite for those who do not live by the teachings of God's word. The psalmist goes on and says, the ungodly are not so, 
but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, they're not going to be in heaven for eternity. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Shall perish. The obvious opposites on the spectrum. The righteous will be with God. The unrighteous will be in hell. Again, Romans 10 and verse 17, very succinctly put. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or faith comes by hearing the word of God. It develops within us as we read God's word, understand it, believe it, and make the proper applications to our lives on a consistent basis. It's as the apostle Paul put Put it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. God's word guides me to salvation. Verse 15, he reminded Timothy that you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So it guides me to salvation through faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It also instructs me as to living the Christian life, righteous living. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and it equips me to live that productive Christian life for the rest of my life. Thoroughly equipped that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it leads me to salvation it instructs me all along the way of, throughout the rest of my life in the ways of righteousness and God's will. And it equips me to serve God in productive ways through the rest of my life. God's word, God's word is key to my winning against sin, to my continuing to be victorious over sin. With his word, I can be victorious over sin. Are you living the way that God wants you to live? Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, <clears throat> beware lest you also fall from your steadfastness. In other words, continued faithfulness dedicated, committed faithfulness to God. Being led away with the error of the wicked, the devil's again going to keep working on you, but you just stay in God's word. You just continue to walk with God according to his teachings, and you will be victorious over the devil. You will win against sin on an ongoing basis. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Are you living by the teachings of Jesus Christ, of God's word? 2 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine, does not live in, live by the teachings of Christ, does not have God. But he who abides in, lives by, lives in the teachings of Christ has both the Father and the Son. What about you? Each one of us needs to be honest now. 
We need to put pride away, pride that might be destructive to our eternal salvation, to our eternal home in heaven, to our being able to realize that home that God wants to give us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. But the question for each one of us is to reflect, where am I? Are you living by the teachings of God's word? Would you like somebody to study with you, to pray with you, to help you learn and better understand those teachings that God has given us to enable us to be victorious over sin, to defeat the devil, and to be able to be assured of eternal life in heaven. We're here to help you. All you have to do is ask us. You can either step forward and ask us, or you can talk with us privately after services. We're here for you. We want to help. If there is one or more who are ready to become Christians, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, you already have learned that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, we encourage you to take that step this morning. Or if you need the prayers of the church, again, please step forward or talk with us privately and let us know. We want to help you get to heaven. We want to help you have that eternal home with God. And God has given us his word to guide us to that reality. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?